And thanks, Jeff. Hey, one more thing I want to throw in um, just to this, this service before we jump into the message. And, uh, you know, it's fun to be together and it's fun to um, be able to spend this hour together. And a lot of you come and, and we love to worship and stuff together. But there is a tension, I'll admit, as a, as a pastor and as trying to be the leader here, that, that I'm trying to balance of we have a lot of guests that come, and, and nothing says welcome to a guest like we don't have a seat for you. And, and that truly, it breaks my heart to say, hey, invite your friends to the chapel and come to the chapel, but then they come to the chapel and they're like, man, we had to sit in the overflow room. That, that, like, that turns them off. And I understand that. So we try to balance that a little bit. So here's my challenge to the 10 o'clock service people especially. If you've not been to the 1130 service, it's, it's about half as many people. There's plenty of room at the 1130 service. If you are a regular attender here, if you don't have kids necessarily that are upstairs or doing the kids programming right now, if you're someone that could potentially be willing to uh, uh, attend our 1130 service over these next few months while we have some guests and while we want to invite our family and friends to come, would you consider over these next few weeks jump into the 1130 service? I have maybe 50 to 100 people. Tell me if you would. Give me your name. Let me know that, hey, I would be willing to do that. We would be grateful. Um, I hope you hear my heart in that. It's not that I want you to switch, but, but to make room for the guests and stuff, I want them to feel like they have a place here, that they, they feel comfortable here. And so if you'd be willing to consider that, I would appreciate it. We would appreciate that. And uh, let me know. Um, with that said, today marks uh, the first Sunday of the Advent season. Now, depending on what kind of background you grew up with or what church you went to, you may or may not have ever celebrated Advent. And it's simply a word that means this. Advent means arrival. It's the arrival. The season of Advent is, is typically a, a time that is observed for people to Remember and anticipate the arrival of the Messiah, of the Savior. In fact, the Israelites, they longed for the arrival of a Messiah. And we, as Christ followers, are in a period of time where we are longing for the return of Jesus once again. We are longing for the arrival. And it's with this longing in mind that we're launching into a three-week message series, Advent series, leading us into Christmas Eve, believe it or not, that we're calling Just in Time. Just in Time. It's during these three weeks that we're going to discover what, what was just in time. Well, today we want to look at that Jesus came at just the right time. Next week, Pastor Eric's going to be with us when he shares that he was just the right person. And then the, uh, the week before Christmas Eve, we're going to look at why he carried with him just the right message. And so as we jump into these three weeks ahead, we're going to focus on a passage of scripture found in Galatians. So I want to share that passage with you today. And then we're going to be looking at that same passage over the next three weeks together. So we'll be revisiting it. But this is what it says in Galatians chapter four, starting in verse four. It says, when the right time came, God sent his son born of a woman subject to the law. 
God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. So Paul begins this powerful portion of Scripture by saying these words, but when the right time came. Now, timing is everything. We know this to be true. The the timing of something, whether it is right or wrong timing, can determine a lot of things. It can determine whether something is a success or whether something is a failure. It can determine the difference between life and death. Having the right timing, look, it will determine if you're going to hit your golf shot down the center of the fairway or off into the trees like I do. Having the right timing determines if your car runs smoothly. Having the right timing determines whether the Browns offense or defense is going to be successful. Having the right timing determines if you're going to make your connecting flight at the airport. Having the right timing will determine if your crush will say yes or no to you when you invite them out to coffee. Having the right timing is important. Now, those things might not be life or death, but what happens when they are life and death? For instance, I've heard these things said. If I wouldn't have gone to the doctor when I did, they wouldn't have been able to help me. Or, if I wouldn't have gotten stopped by the train on the way to work, that car that was out of control would have hit me. Or, if I wouldn't have been at this place at this exact time, I wouldn't have met this person who became my spouse, and now we have kids and a family. Timing is everything. Timing is critical, and Paul tells us here at the beginning of Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, he said, but when the right time came, the timing is everything, and it leads me to wonder, okay, if the timing of Jesus was the right timing, why? Why was this the right time? What was going on in the world to make this the right time for Jesus to come? I mean, why didn't he come a lot earlier than he did? Why didn't he come a lot later than he did? Why right then? Why was it perfect? Well, to answer this question, I want to take us back to a period of time that was called the 400 years of silence. And this is exactly how it sounds. These 400 years, some call the intertestamental period. That is because there are 400 years that came between the Old Testament and the New Testament of our Bibles. The Old Testament of our Bibles ends with the the, uh, prophecies of Malachi. The New Testament of our Bible begins with the cries of a baby in Bethlehem. In between the two, in between the two, there was silence. Silence. And it wasn't that life stopped. It wasn't that the world was silent. It was that God was silent. It is as if the doors of heaven just closed up shop and God just disappeared for 400 years. No one heard from God. 400 years of silence. And it was during those 400 years that the stage was being set 
for the perfect timing of Jesus. Now, I, I hope you'll bear with me today because I love history. My background is in history. Uh, and so I, I want to share with you a little history today to make this make more sense. So if you would just dig out your world history books from when you were sophomores in high school that you thought you would never have to look at again, well, surprise, I want to look at those this morning together for just, just a second. Because a lot was happening we need to understand during this 400 years, because that 400 years were years that were filled with war. They were years that were filled with upheaval. They were years that were filled with unfulfilled hopes. Years filled with people claiming to have heard from God called false prophets, but really didn't. They were years of people who were hurting and people who were lost. This was a dark time in history, these 400 years. In fact, this is kind of how it began. Fighting had taken place um, throughout Israel in the surrounding areas around Israel. And then this took place. In 538 B.C., this guy named King Cyrus, King Cyrus of Persia, he freed the Israelites from captivity. And he sent them home. And as he sent them home, the instructions were to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem that had been destroyed. This was a good thing. Here's the problem with that. The Samaritans also went home. And the Samaritans decided they were going to rebuild their own temple. It was going to be a rival temple to the temple in Jerusalem. Here's where the problem began. Because the Samaritans, when they rebuilt their temple, they began to allow pagan worship and pagan religions and pagan rituals to be a part of the temple that they built. Well, this was a problem with the Jews. And, and so conflict arose. Years and years of conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans. They hated each other. This is why, remember that story that Jesus told of the good Samaritan? Remember the, the Samaritan stopped on the road and helped? That's why that story is so powerful. Because the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. They had been at it for years. Well then, after this happened, you might remember this guy from your history books, Alexander the Great comes on the scene. Alexander Grant came and he was dominant. But the, here's the cool thing about his domination. When he dominated, he brought with him the Greek customs and the Greek culture and the Greek language. And this is critical because did you realize that the old or the New Testament of our Bible is translated from Greek? Thank you, Alexander. Did you know that when he did this, the roads were constructed to make trade easier? The people who spoke a lot of different languages were now speaking Greek, which made communication easier. So when we get to the book of Acts and we see all those missionaries travel around sharing the gospel, unknowingly, thank you, Alexander, for helping make that possible. This was incredible how God had worked these things out during these 400 years of silence. But that, that's another story, because this is what happened when we got to 198 B.C. Syria overthrew Egypt. Now, stick with me here, because this is important. 
Syria overthrew Egypt, which means that Israel was under the control of a leader that was trying to stamp out the Jews altogether. This leader was trying to eliminate the Jews and Jewish culture. He forbade them to worship Yahweh. He removed all Sabbaths from their, from their uh, practice. He forced them to eat pork, among other things. He desecrated the temple. He did everything he could to hurt the Jews and to take them out. This was bad. This was bad. And as a result of this, the country of Israel was under uh, this, uh, it was unstable. They turned to mercenaries and outside nations for support. Some of the Jews tried to, um, tried to be okay with the new leader. They went along with the new leader's rules. Some of the Jews decided to fight and resist. Many resistance groups rose up to take on Syria, and they actually did a pretty good job, but they were being decimated. Well, then this happened. Rome was growing in power. And when Rome grew in power, it finally decided it was going to put its sights on Israel. And when it did, Israel was in such upheaval, was in such disarray that there was little they could do to stop them. Here's what all that means. All this upheaval, all of this fighting, all of this chaos caused these two main groups of people to form, religious political groups. Okay? The first group was this, the Pharisees. You've heard this before. Pharisees were the legalists of the day. The Pharisees devoted themselves to, to following the laws of Moses. They placed specific laws and strict laws on the Jews of the day. In fact, they added so many laws and they made so many addendums to the law that it was nearly impossible for the Jews to ever be able to follow them. And if it was nearly impossible for the Jews, it was most definitely impossible for the pagans too. And as a result, people were frustrated. They were, they were giving up on religion. They were walking away from God altogether. They had lost all hope. And then this other group formed called the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the rationalists of the day. That means they, they relied on politics. They cared only for the wealthy in the community. Their main goal was to make peace with Rome. That's their goal, which is a problem because the poor in the communities were being oppressed. And not only were the poor being oppressed, but the Jews in the community were being conquered. So now you can see the bottom line here is between these two groups that had formed, everyone was hurting. Everyone was dissatisfied. Everyone was scared. People were walking away from religion. They were walking away from God. And people would, were even beginning to create their own religions to, to satisfy their longing that they had. They were longing for the Messiah to come. They were longing for a Savior. In fact, Pastor Warren Wearsby, he wrote in his book, Be Free, he said, historians tell us the Roman world was in great expectation, waiting for a deliverer at the time Jesus was born. The old religions were dying. The old philosophies were empty and powerless to change men's lives. Strange new mystery religions were invading the empire. Religious bankruptcy and spiritual hunger were everywhere. God was preparing the world for the arrival of his son. 
And all of this happened during a period of 400 years when God was silent. And yet, and yet Paul wrote these words, but when the right time came, when these 400 years of, of silence are, are years where now we have the ability to look back and see that God was setting the stage for his son between these political groups, the tensions that were forming, the groups that were rising up, between the frustration of the Jews who just couldn't live up to expectations and the, and the, and, and the Gentiles who gave up long before that. People were ready. People were ready. The world was ready. The stage was set, and it was time. The silence, it was broken. Because in the midst of chaos and hurt and hopelessness and just defeat, on a cold night in Bethlehem, the cries of a baby lying in a manger broke through. The silence was broken and the world would never be the same. Hallelujah. This is incredible. And historically, I love learning these things. And they all make sense. But, but here's where I struggle. I struggle with God's silence. I struggle with God's timing. Because God's timing is rarely my timing. In fact, have you ever heard this statement before? It goes, God is rarely early and never late, but always on time, His time. That's the part I struggle with. It's not my time, it's His time. This is a great sign to hang on your wall at work or on your wall in the living room, but I'm telling you the reality of this statement is tough to take because if you're like me, I'm impatient. I don't like to wait. I want answers now. I pray and I pray for wisdom and I pray for counsel, and yet it seems like all I receive is silence. And we start questioning, where are you, God? Why haven't you done anything yet? Have you felt that way? I know you have because we all have. In fact, David, a man after God's own heart, wrote the majority of our psalms, and he was caught expressing these feelings in Psalm 44. Listen to, listen to his feelings here and see if you can relate. He wrote this, Wake up, O Lord. Why do you sleep? Get up. Do not reject us forever. Why do you look the other way? Why do you ignore our suffering and oppression? We collapse in the dust lying face down in the dirt. Rise up. Help us. You could hear his desperation. And during this 400 years of silence, the people of Israel were longing, longing for their Messiah to come. They were crying out for help. They were waiting. They were waiting. These people were waiting, longing, crying for a Savior. But little did they know that that Savior wasn't going to be a mighty warrior. It would instead be a baby. But as incredible as this history is, and as much as I love knowing the whole story, there's one piece of the story that is still unfinished. It's ours. It's yours. Your story is left unfinished. And maybe you are here today and you're in a period of waiting. 
Maybe you're here today and you're at a period of, man, there's just silence. And you're, you're questioning God's timing. And so I want to close today by encouraging you. And I want to encourage you with three things to consider and maybe some action to take. So here's how I want to encourage you. If you are in a period of silence or waiting, would you consider, in a period of silence, would you consider slowing down and seeking after God? Slowing down and seeking after God. Here's why, here's why I say that. Because during 400 years of silence, these Israelites, the people lost track of time, their time. They lost track. They, they, they had time to stop and study Scripture. They had time to stop and seek after God. They had time to tune their heart to sing His praise, and they didn't. Instead, they were deaf and they were blind, and as a result, out of frustration and fear, they chose to seek other things than God, and they walked away. So what about in our lives? In yours and mine, what do we do when God seems to be silent or when God seems like his timing isn't ours? What do we tend to do? I'll, I'll tell you what I do. You can tell me if you relate to me. This is my tendency. My tendency is to get frustrated. And when I get frustrated, that's not a good thing because if frustrated, that's usually when I begin to assert my control. Because if God's not going to do something, then I'll do something. If he doesn't do it when I think he should, I'll step in and handle it, and I'll make things happen. That's what I do. And then I try to fill the void that I'm filling with, with things that I think will give me some kind of satisfaction. I become restless, and I seek after things or people that I think will give me the attention that I want. This is what I do. And then I walk away. I turn my back. Uh, what if instead of that, what if we slowed down, took a breath? What if we slowed down and we spent the time that God has given us to seek after him? That means this. That means that we spend some time in prayer. That means that we spend some time listening. It means we spend some time preparing our hearts for whatever it is that he might have for us Next, In fact, David, again, he wrote many psalms. And, and he, David was in a period of waiting and a period of silence. And he modeled for us what it looked like to slow down and seek after the Lord. And I want to share these scriptures with you because maybe these are scriptures that you want to steal for yourself. Because maybe you're in this time and these will help you. This is how David models this for us. In the silence, he slowed down and he sought after God and he wrote these words. In Psalm 63, O God, you are my God and I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. David sought after God in a moment of waiting. And then he followed up with this. He said, I wait quietly before God, for my victory comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, where I will never be shaken. David slowed down and he sought after God in a moment of waiting and a moment of silence. Would you consider the same? Here's the second thing I want to give you to consider. 
My second thing is, in the silence, would you consider pursuing a heart of worship toward God? Here's why I say that. Because moments when, when God seems to be silent or late, we can tend to fill our minds with things, anything and everything else besides God. Because you and I were made for worship. That's how we were built. Whether you recognize it or not, we all worship. Which is just another word for worth. Giving worth to something. We, we worship. And we all do this. We, 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 all, we fill our lives with the worship of something or someone in the waiting and silence. Look, we worship things like sports or money or sex or video games or jobs or cars or Netflix or whatever. You name it, we can worship it. That's how we're built. What if instead we refocused our hearts to the worship of God instead of stuff and things? What if, we, what if we worshiped God? Because worship is about perspective. What if we worshiped in worship? We refocused our hearts. We recentered our minds around the truths and the promises that we so easily forget. Again, David models this for us in the Psalms. In a moment of waiting and silence, David refocused his mind to the worship of God. And this is what he wrote. He said in Psalm 63, your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feasts. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely in moments of waiting and silence. David worshiped the Lord. And I wonder if you would consider filling your heart with worship toward God. I'll be honest. I'll share how I, I've done this before. And you steal what you want. Yours is going to look different than mine, but, but take what you want. In moments of worship for me, I have found it easy to have a passage of Scripture memorized. Maybe just a verse. Something that I can recall at a moment's notice. Something that's just in there. It's in my heart. So when I'm in a moment of waiting and silence, I can recall a verse and speak it. I, I found in moments of, of waiting, uh, worship has helped me by being outside in nature. I love walking and going for bike rides or working outside because I love to thank the Lord for His creation. That helps me. I love music. Uh, that draws me into worship. You know, um, I remember growing up in a little tiny Baptist church with my parents and at Sunday school in the basement, we learned this chorus that many of you know that, that still to this day comes to my mind and I think of it and, and it draws me to worship. It's just that little chorus that goes, um, uh, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. To worship you, all my soul rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. That still comes to my head to this day, over and over. Would you consider refocusing your mind to the worship of God? So slow down and seek him, worship him, and then this last one I want to give you to do. 
in the silence, would you consider remembering? Remembering, because how easy it is to forget who God is and who we are when we're in moments of silence. We forget because we allow voices other than His to fill our minds. And then get this, they speak things that are lies and we believe it. And what, what if instead we chose to remember the truth of who God is? Once again, David models this for us. And I love what he, in one of my favorite Psalms he wrote, Psalm 103, David shows us what it's like to remember. He writes this, that all that I am, praise the Lord, man, never forget the good things he does for me. I think David includes this line, may I never forget because he knows how easy it is to forget. And so David says, I never ever want to forget. And then he lists for us what he wants to remember. He says, I don't want to forget these things. I don't want to forget that he forgives all my sins and he heals all my disease and he redeems me from death and he crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things and my youth is renewed like the eagles. David remembers, and I encourage you, remember in these moments of silence and waiting. Remember. In fact, Jesus himself modeled for us what it looked like to remember and the importance of remembering. That is why we take communion together, is to remember. This is why it's so important that we together, we do this. It's remember. In fact, we're given some instructions by Jesus. And so if you would take these out. And then Jesus' instructions for us are this. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this. Why? To remember me. We do this to remember him. And so I want to encourage you in just these few moments of quiet, just to yourself, would you take a moment and would you remember a time that God showed up in your life at just the right time? Maybe it was a time that you needed hope and he provided you hope. Maybe it was a time that you needed some peace and he gave you a good night's sleep. Maybe it was a time that you felt so unworthy and he reminded you that you are a son and a daughter of the king. Would you stop for just a minute and remember? Do that now. Amen. Would you take that bread together? And then Jesus goes on in 1 Corinthians, and it's recorded saying this, in the same way he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this, why? In remembrance of me, as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Again, would you just take a moment in the quietness of your seat and would you 
remember. Remember to express gratitude for God's closeness even when you don't feel it. Would you take a moment to express your trust in God's timing even when you don't understand it? Just take a moment to remember and to thank him. Amen. Let's take this together. So throughout whatever it is you're going through, the chaos of you right now, remember this words from Paul. He said, but when the right time came, when the right time came, a baby cried, the silence was broken, the waiting was over, and Jesus, the Savior of the world, has been born. It was just the right time. He was just the right person. And he held just the right message. You know, as you leave today, I wonder, would you just stand with me? And Sonia, would you lead us in that chorus together and then you'll be dismissed after we sing. Ah.